Ladies and gentlemen around the world, welcome to the Film Deviant Podcast. Yeah! Got to cool it down. Ooh, watch out. You're gonna fall in love. <laughs>
What's good, party people? Party people in the house. Welcome to another exhausting episode of Film Deviant, the podcast where we talk about Brian's fucking issues and some movies and blah, blah, blah. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, for some of those that may may be listening to this for the first time, I apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. A lot of this is stream of consciousness. Um, so I'm just being open with you in hopes that I might share, in hopes that we connect in, in, in some kind of level, right? Like, I think that's why sometimes we choose some of the things in life that we choose because we want to connect with other human beings. You know, you, you go to the movies, you discuss the movie that you watched because you want to connect with a certain, you know, like-minded individual. So that's kind of why I'm doing these things. Um, I don't know. Like, I felt like this this pandemic has got us all, you know, wrapped to to a certain we're just wrapped up we're we're we can't go anywhere we can't do the things that we've been doing um this this world is just upside down and everything is just locked up right so while i've been in this locked up kind of environment i decided to start this little podcast experiment and so far you know like i've I've actually been connecting with certain people out there you know who you are (laughs) those three of you that are still listening to me but I've also connected with you know some of my guests that I've had on in ways that I never thought that I would connect with before, you know, just simply talking about movies. And I think that's that makes this little venture worth it, right? Like that you connect on somebody else on some kind of human level. So I feel like I should be honest in all of these episodes that I come out. And, you know, maybe, like, I look back on these things as sort of a chronicle (laughs) of, like, how I spent my 2020, right? So, having said that, I found out not too long ago that I am losing my job. So, the job that I've just spent about 20 years working at, I'm, one day it's going to be all done, right? Like, one day soon, like, (laughs) in a couple months, so, I don't know, man. Like, so apparently the company that I work for, which I won't name any names or whatever, but the company that I work for is also being, you know, hit hard, just like everybody else is with this pandemic. They're getting hit hard and, and they have to do cuts. And one of those cuts is closing the place that I helped to build. So it's kind of sad in that way. Um, I think... I think I'll, I'll I think I'll be okay. Like I've always been of the frame of mind that I'm like a cat and no matter what I do, wherever I go, I always land on my feet. So I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> but again, in the uncertainty that is 2020, you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, so on and so forth. So having said that, I hope that'll be okay, but I I have a strong uh, faith. I have strong, uh, strong enough belief that I'm going to be okay. And I feel like this is a great opportunity to discuss something called opportunities, right? 
when you're stuck at a certain thing, when you're doing a certain job, and I'm not saying stuck like you have to be there. You know, I think any of us that have a job, we should feel fortunate that we have one, you know, first and foremost. But I don't know, like sometimes you get really comfortable. And then when you're being forced out of that situation, you kind of come across some new doors in your life, doors that you would have never thought to even approach before when you had this nice cushy job. Now that you're forced out of the job, <laughs> like myself, you're looking at all these opportunities, all these doors that you might not even have considered before, you know? You're taking a look at them and you're like, you know, maybe there is something more outside of my comfort zone. Maybe there's a new opportunity that awaits on the other side of the door. And so that's what I'm hoping on. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen, right? But, you know, it's I don't know, it's weird. I should be a lot sadder than I, than I am right now. Maybe it's like crying on the inside kind of stuff or whatever. But I think I'm going to be okay, guys. And I have that bit of faith that's propelling me forward. Um, I've already received some, you know, offers. So there are those opportunities. So it's like, I feel like this is the time for me to explore what else is out there. And sometimes you never know that you get into a much better opportunity until you're forced to, you know, do so. Until you're forced to fend for yourself and swim when you're dropped off into this big fucking murky pond that I'm about to be dropped off in, right? But it is what it is. And I think the strongest of us, you know, persevere. That's what we do. So this will this will definitely challenge me in ways that I was not planning to be challenged on, right? But it's. I think it'll be okay. I think I'll be okay. So I just wanted to share that with you guys because, God, you know, it's it's... It's approaching, you know, my, the last day that I will be employed with in this place, like in this particular facility um, that I'm working at now is coming soon. Like it'll be here before, before I even know it, like I'll blink and it'll be here like the very last day. So having said that, it's approaching really quick, you know, every, like whatever you mark on the calendar I've found in my personal life and professional life, it comes super quick. It comes way before you even prepared for it to come, you know? Um, so I have this marked down on my calendar and I feel like it's fast approaching. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to share that with you guys because I've been so honest with everything thus far, you know, with Black Lives Matter, with the pandemic, my feelings on everything, you know, even if I'm just talking about backstabbers like from my last episode or whatever and speaking of being candid in that way a good friend of mine here's a segue (laughs) segue coming guys a good friend of mine is starting up a new show a new podcast adventure called worst movies ever it's by a friend of mine who's actually inspired me one of one of the many people who've inspired me to pick up like the mic and do a podcast for myself. His name is Derek Carey. He's a dear, dear friend of mine. Such a lovely individual, you know, just you, you meet certain people in, in your life and you just know that they're a beautiful soul right off the bat. Derek struck me like that when I first met him. When I first shook his hand, I was like, this guy is somebody that I want to get to know more, you know, love at first sight, if you want to call it that or whatever. 
but yeah, I do love him. I think he's a really, really beautiful individual, and I'm glad that he's my friend and that he's in my life. So he's starting this show called Worst Movies Ever, in which he talks about... So this will be available on his Patreon, which I'll have everything linked in the description. But you, So basically, there are episodes devoted to these terrible movies right (laughs) and i don't mean to sound mean but you know things like like i mentioned in a previous episode turkey day where we go and we experience all these quote-unquote terrible movies and glean some kind of you know entertainment or satisfaction from them so he's going to be discussing uh these movies on his, his new show and he's going to be doing it in such a candid manner that you'll get to know more of him, uh, you know, when people speak. And a lot of times these things are unscripted. Like, I don't even script any of this stuff myself. I just kind of, like I say, fly right from the dome. So I think that's what Derek's going to be doing on his new show. And I actually was lucky enough to listen to his first show. And (laughs) the thing that really got me is, so he spends the entire show talking about what he's going to be doing on the show. But towards the very end, he reveals that when he walks his dog, it takes forever. It takes like an eternity. Like he walks across the entire goddamn like halfway across the town before he does his thing. And this has fucking happened to me every goddamn time I take my dog out. My dog Maximus. His name's Maximus. I named him after a skate park that my brothers and I used to frequent back when we were children called ZT Maximus. Uh, out in North or I don't, I don't even fucking know, but it was right outside of Boston, um, called ZT Maximus. And we used to go there. So it was like, you know, his name was, um, we call him Max all the time, but his long, his like name on his birth certificate or, you know, medical records or whatever you want to call it is Maximus, uh, ZT to be exact ZT Maximus. But anyway, my dog fucking does this too, Derek. Like he fucking walks halfway across the goddamn town before he does a number two. You know, like he'll he'll pee all day. Like he'll pee on everything. Like you said on your show, he's got like these like three places that he loves to just pee in. You know, like one is like a you know signpost or whatever. He'll pee on that, and then there's a tree, and then like a light post down you know the ways, but. God, like for him to do a number two, for him to drop a deuce and his, his like poop <laughs> isn't that big. Like it's these little pellets or whatever. But the point is he walks like six blocks down the way before he even considers to drop a deuce. And, you know, he pees on everything along the way. But God, it takes forever to do, you know, do a poo poo. <laughs> <laughs> So that sucks, you know, and and hearing you say that on your show made me just think about that. It made me feel like, hey, I'm not alone with this issue, right? But anyway, um, I I wanted to point you guys, all five of my listeners, over to Worst Movies Ever, which which sounds like a really fun show uh, that's going to be starting up really soon. So get on that. Get on the Patreon uh, page. And I don't ever... I don't ever do this. Like, I don't ever go and, you know, subscribe to Patreons or whatever. But this one, I'm going to subscribe. I'm just going to, you know, 
bite the bullet and you know hopefully Derek's got some saucy photos to send my way to go along with his podcast uh but that's another issue altogether but i totally recommend listening to the show like i said i listened to the first episode and it's so fun it's going to be a good time worst movies ever by my friend Derek carey speaking of really good uh podcast shows i don't know if you're a fan um from back in the day but back when I first used to listen to podcasts, I love Italian Jallo films as well. And so when I first came across a show called Jallo Chow Chow, I was it was like love at first sight. Like I love these guys. I love how they talk about these amazing films. You know, it, like they give you the the really real, like the honest stuff, and they interject like all this like witty fun stuff, you know, as well. Uh, so it makes for a really fun listen because like it feels like you're just like shooting the shit with a bunch of like familiar like-minded dudes right so turns out that matt and chris took a bit of a breather for quite a while i think it was over a year or so and i thought it was done i thought like jalo chow chow um was done you know and it it was unfortunate because i was with them from the very start and just you know going along listening to them joining their facebook group and you know being amongst other like-minded jalo fans that inspired me to open up the jalo room with baron martino so in a lot of ways they like they were up there in terms of inspiring me to do some of my own stuff so hearing that they're coming back matt and chris via jalo chow chow volume two (laughs) in 2020 it's got me all kinds of excited so i'm super stoked to listen to some new episodes of matt and chris talking about all these amazing jalo films so bravo guys welcome back welcome back to the chow chow mic (laughs) super happy and excited to hear what you guys have in store uh so like i said i'll link everything in the description uh check it out Subscribe to their stuff because they're going to be giving you some really entertaining, fun, fun Jallo speak, Jallo talk. (laughs) Um, Speaking of Jolly, I'd like to recommend, if I will, three Jallo films to watch if you've never seen a Jallo film before. And the way that I'm going to do this, because I've scientifically, in a laboratory somewhere, in a studio, in a fucking (laughs) lined... A studio filled with like soundproof walls or whatever. I'm just kidding. I'm not that fancy. But I spent some time thinking about this list and I chopped it down to per decade. So I got three decades for three films of Jallo that I would totally recommend you check out. And then that way you kind of have these like amazing three films to jump off of and experience the entire universe that is Jallo. Because I love the fucking genre of film, and I'll call it a genre. I know some people call it a subgenre, but I myself feel that Jalo is so important, it deserves its own genre. So it's a fucking movie genre. <laughs> it's a movie genre, goddammit. Um, so having said that, I have three films. One film from the 60s, one from the 70s, and one from the 80s. <laughs> first film 
comes from 1964, and it's from arguably the granddaddy of Jolly. He came out with the very first recorded Jollo of all time, The Girl Who Knew Too Much. And it's a favorite of mine, uh, simply because like the, the performances are great. The filmmaking is like, oh my God, it's, it's next level. But the thing is, it's in black and white. So it's never really looked at as like, you know, it's, I would say it's the very first Jallo ever filmed, but you can, you know, fast forward through the decades and you'll see that a lot of the, um, I would say more enjoyable Jolly out there they tend to be more colorful and just more bombastic in your face kind of thing. Whereas The Girl Who Knew Too Much, I think, is a brilliant film. I think it's a beautiful first stepping stone to the world of Jalo. But I would recommend his... I, would, I, I don't think it's his next film because I think the telephone segment uh, from Black Sabbath inspired this film. This film, which came out in 1964, Blood and Black Lace. Because if you look at the telephone from his Black Sabbath anthology, it totally informs the, the direction that he would bring this genre to when he made Blood and Black Lace. A house of high fashion, a dazzling whirl of elegance, of exotic, extravagant beauties. An adventurous journey into the devastating allure of the most sophisticated women and their intimate secrets. Suddenly, these lace curtains ignite a drama that will lacerate your emotions. Blood and black lace. <coughs> who is this shrouded, sadistic, sordid fiend who maims and murders? Why this bloodthirsty orgy? This holocaust of lives. Blood and black lace in bleeding color. For shattering, shivering, shocking experience. So I just think it's a it's an amazing film. It takes so many twists. I'm not going to spoil any of these films, by the way, here. This isn't really a Jalo discussion per se, but more my recommendation. Like if you're if you if you're interested in Jolly and you want a starting place, these three films I guarantee are going to like like whet your appetite, right? So Blood and Black Lace does just that. It, you watch it. And you think, God damn, like, where do we go from here? And you'll find that there's so many different directions to go from something like a Blood and Black Lace. It definitely, I would say, as far as Jallo goes, it introduces that black gloved, you know, uh, overcoat, like trench coat dressed black, you know, mask with the fedora looking iconic killer that you would grow familiar with. Like my own uh, friend, Baron Martino from the Jala Room dresses like this on a daily basis. So it's it's very much informing the style of, you know, the films that would come afterwards, um, including 
Argento's and Martino's work, you know, and then all the other ones, Lenzi, Fulci, you know, everybody. Like when you when you get to like a film down the road from Andrea Bianchi called Strip Nude for Your Killer, you'll see that it's very much informed with a lot of the colors in it, with the black glove uh, killer, and then like the the different you know red herrings and where it sort of forces you to go in your mind like it it twists so many times that it's like you know of course this would derive from something like a blood and black lace so it's a definite first film to check out and actually i don't i don't necessarily feel that you should watch these movies in any order Um, i'm just recommending if you're going to take the leap from 60s to 70s to 80s those are the three decades that i'm concentrating on so the, this is a, a taste, a sample, if you will, from each decade. So Blood and Black Lace from the 60s, 1964 to be exact, directed by Mario Bava. And it's just an, it's just an amazing film. Like it's got so many amazing performances. It colors the screen with this technicolor kind of landscape, you know, much like later on Argento would use in Suspiria. And, you know, if you're familiar with Bava's um, Planet of the Vampires and some of his other films like A Black Sabbath, they're very much like this. They, they have this like rich color and it's not over the top really, but I feel like it's just such a masterstroke in visuals in the ways that he murders the victims on screen, the brutality. It, it was just so cutting edge of a film. So it's one of my favorites of all time. Probably if you pin me down and ask me what my top five favorite Jalo films of all time, I would say Blood and Black Lace is in that top five somewhere. Um, so definitely check out Blood and Black Lace. The next film on my list is from the 70s, 1971 to be exact. And he's this one comes from a director, a filmmaker, an Italian filmmaker whom I feel is very much always left out of the conversation. Whenever you're talking about the Italian greats, I think he cemented his place in the giallo genre. You know, when when you think of his films, you think of him and you think of him as an icon. So I feel like he his face would be up there on the Mount Rushmore of just Italian filmmaking, period. You know, like you have your Argentos, your, your Fulci's, your Bava's, and you have your Sergio Martino, which in 1971... He made The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. Has been marked for terror by a killer who leaves no clues. Has no motives. Only an insatiable desire for strange. Morbid. Eerie. Devilish kicks. His perversion knows no limit until... (laughs) What strange vice pushed this man to beautiful women and their throats? Slowly. Silently. Almost as if he were not there. And yet... (laughs) 
The strange vice of Mrs. Ward has the what I call <laughs> what I well actually I, I've I've seen it out there like I've seen it labeled as such, but it's the the Jalo Trinity in terms of the three. And I'm not going to say that these three individual actors are, you know, in, in every film, but goddamn, like they, their their presence alone in this film just makes them so worthwhile, so worthy of that title. Because when you take a look at the performers in this film, you see somebody like an Edwidge Fennec who plays the titular role of Mrs. Ward. You know, like you, they, she just commands your attention. She she has that film presence. You know, that cinematic something that you only see like lifetimes after lifetimes you know what i mean like they're they're just so special they're the way that they shine on screen oh my god it's blinding and and edwidge fennec has always done that in whatever role she's played even now like in that last um eli roth movie that she was in Host hostile two um she just has that presence about her that that aura you know what i mean um, and the only other person that could match her aura in all of Jolly Cinema is George Hilton. And so the two of them, they just like, I don't know, it's something special when you see them on screen together. And then adding to that specialness is that Ivan Razumov comes on on the screen and it's like, oh my God, it's like these three, just the way that they bounce off of each other's energy, it's just so amazing to watch and... You'll see that when you see something like a strange vice of Mrs. Ward, there's a lot of repeating elements um, in other films. So it's definitely a great place to go, I would say, from Blood and Black Lace because it's it's like the next eventual step, right, in the dichotomy of the Jalo. You see how it morphs into, and you see how it progresses to from something like a Blood and Black Lace, which by no standards is anything basic, mind you, but you see it pushed into new levels by an Argento, by a Martino, by a Lenzi, you know, by all these great Italian filmmakers, and you see it, like, pushed forward, and Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward does just that, with the locations, with the filmmaking, you see, like, an auteur at work when you're watching something like, like, Strange Vice, uh, so totally recommend Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, totally recommend it just for <laughs> watching, um, Ivan Razumov, George Hilton, which, you know, rest in peace, those two, um, they're, they're gone now, you know, and unfortunately, as time progresses, a lot of these greats, a lot of these icons are taken from us, and, but we also, we always have them on screen um, for all time, so it's, it's really cool to see them immortalized in something like A Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, and somebody who's still around and looks just as great as ever Edwidge Fenix. So just to see the three of them just match their energy, it's just so amazing to watch, just that. And not to mention it's got a great soundtrack. Um, I, I Forgive me, but I didn't mention also that that uh, Blood and Black Lace also has an iconic soundtrack. And that's something that a lot of these films share, is they have these really amazing soundtracks, these scores that you just cannot get out of your head. Um, so it adds to that richness of these films that you're watching you know um so speaking of great scores and great soundtracks my next recommendation is a film from 1982 so we're moving from six 1960s to 1970s right into the 1980s i recommend night ripper 
from 1986, which is an amazing film. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to recommend <laughs> Night Ripper. That's actually probably my least favorite Jalo film of all time. Um, it's not horrible. Like I've seen, I've probably seen worse, but off the top of my head, like that's the one film from the eighties that I think I've seen once or tw- I tried watching it twice and I fell asleep the second time. Um, it's just not for me. It's not my taste. Um, but what is my taste from 1982 is Dario Argento's Tenebrae, which I look at as such a fucking masterpiece. Everybody goes to his Deep Red. Everybody goes to his Animal Trilogy. People go to opera from the na- from the 1980s, um, and they look at those films as some of his you know masterworks. But God, the way that he the way that he makes Tenebrae, and he mutes all the colors. You know, so it's everything is stark, and the way that he creates these visuals, you know, almost stripped down. It's just so brilliant, and and you you see a master at work. I've read all your books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor, and your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. Can I ask you something? Jesus. might say that argento is overrated or whatever he places too much of an importance on style over substance but when you look at something like tenebrae it's got so much substance in it you know it's got a great narrative like it's got a uh what i would think is an amazing um story to it and so the way that he makes tenebrae and the fact that he fucking did that crane shot in the movie i'm not going to spoil it but when you come across the crane shot in the film, you'll see that it's like this guy is working on a totally different level. Um, so I totally recommend Tenebrae. It's got a lot of great performances and another one by the late, great John Saxon. Um, it's one of his only two. I, I, I mentioned off the top, uh, girl, the girl who knew too much, John Saxon was in that, and he's also in Tenebrae. So just to see him show up in this film is also great because no matter what he's doing, if he's just twirling his hat on screen, he's giving it that special iconic performance. And and this film is no different. You know, even though he's not in it much, he it's just, he's just such a great presence to watch on screen. And, you know, not for nothing, the rest of Tenebrae just hits you like a freight train. It's just so good. All the set pieces in it, all the, the kills, the murder sequences, oh my God, top notch with that black glove, mysterious killer, you know. So I would recommend from the 1960s, Blood and Black Lace from 1964, and then we go right over to 1971, and The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward gets my highest recommendation of that that particular decade, and then Tenebrae gets my recommendation of Jolly from the 1980s. So I, I think if you stick with these three films as your first 
you know, first time watch list or whatever you want to call it, like delving into the world of Jalo, I think it'll stare you into the right direction because the very first one is sort of like it hits you on all these like colorful bombastic kind of levels and then when you move to strange vice of mrs ward it's a lot more tame but it's got a lot more like really cool elements that give you the the quirkiness and the character of what a true giallo can be you know and then when you move into tenebrae where it's sort of stripped down but it also gives you that amazing fucking score by goblin it gives you all these great elements in it these great twists and turns and and the fact that, you know, the the way that Argento murders on screen is just high art as far as what I'm concerned. <laughs> high art to be, you know. Um, but that's just me. That's just my inner film killer <laughs> talking, right? So totally recommend those three films. There's so there's a multitude of different directions you could go from there. You know, you can delve into the 70s. You could delve into the 60s or even delve into the 80s, you know. Um, but I think those are three, that's a good place to start uh, with those three films in terms of your Jalo journey. Uh, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed those recommendations. Let me know. Uh, write to me over at film, thefilmdeviant at gmail.com if you want to. Or you can, you know, respond in any of the comments or whatever. Or just reach out to me, like on Facebook or whatever, you know. Let me know if uh, if those are three films that you really enjoyed. And if you want to delve more into Jalo, I'd be more than happy to recommend more cool films. Um, some obscure ones, too, that I know even some of the most astute um, Jalo enthusiasts um, or connoisseurs, I should say, listening to the show, even those, like I'm sure you haven't heard of, of, of a few of these anyway. Um, but I love the genre. I will, if you reach out to me, Odds are I'm probably watching <laughs> a Jalo at some point or whatever, because um, I, I watch these things constantly. Even like you know, uh, repeated watches and whatnot. Like I love these films, so I have absolutely no issue with you reaching out to me and then asking me for you know more info on these great films. So please do so. Thanks so much, guys, for listening once again to my lovely little (laughs) corner of the podcast world called film deviant um i really appreciate all of you checking me out all three of you (laughs) whatever you know i don't know what the next episode will entail but please stick around to find out stay tuned (laughs) i'm sure it'll be fun that's all i got thanks again guys i love you take care of yourselves and each other 